morning. It is good to be with you today. I invite your attention to Mark chapter 5. And uh, as you're turning there, I want to just take a minute to also add to what Stephanie said at the beginning and give a word of appreciation to this church family for the many, many ways that, uh, uh, that you roll up your sleeves, that you serve, that you discover your spiritual gifts. You have a, a tremendous love for the Lord, and that is, that is expressed in the way you serve one another and in the way you serve this community. And so I hope that, that as you serve, at least on occasion, you hear the words, thank you. And so for those who are staying for the lunch today, that gives us an opportunity uh, to share that uh, time with you and to also express appreciation. I know that from the, the very youngest among us, there are people who serve. I think even as, as we get ready for Operation Christmas Child, I know that a lot of the children in the church participate with that. I'm thinking back to Vacation Bible School and thinking of some of our senior adults that were really uh, helpful in, in making that happen, our students and student ministry from all age groups. We have people that serve. And because of that, we are, we are definitely a, a blessed congregation. We, uh, we uh, have other needs, as uh, Stephanie mentioned. If you check the board in the foyer, you'll notice that there's a lot of things there, particularly in kids' ministry. Um, and in fact, our nursery has just continued to grow and grow and grow. And so that's a great thing. And uh, if that's something that you can assist with as well, you'll see that's also on the board. We also have something that's not quite on the board yet. We've got a ministry opportunity to the students at Ellisville Elementary that is just developing. It's very exciting. And uh, you can see me about that one. You'll probably see it on the board here in the next week or so. So there's a lot of opportunities. I uh, also want to draw your attention to the nomination form that's being distributed today. It's that time to nominate elders, and very soon we'll be nominating deacons as well. But we've got this over the next couple of Sundays and would appreciate your prayerful consideration of that as well. As we start this morning, I want to ask a question. Who here would acknowledge having at least a mild case of arachnophobia? Okay, all right, there's a few more here than, than, I, than I thought we might have. That's great. I appreciate your honesty. Do you, do you happen to know how common spiders are? Of course, arachnophobia is the fear of spiders, right? Do you know how common spiders are? Experts say that except for Antarctica and the ocean, spiders average 50,000 per acre. How many of you live on a half-acre lot, right? You're, you're doing the math too, aren't you? You're thinking what I'm thinking. So unless you're in Antarctica or in the middle of the ocean, the experts say you are on average, on average, about three feet away from a spider at all times. <laughs> Some of you are ch you're checking your seats. I can see it, right? <laughs> I don't blame you. Yeah, you'll be thinking about that one, won't you? That's on average, okay, so maybe not, maybe not right now, but uh, anyway, aren't you glad you came today? I, I'm just trying to do my part, right? Just trying to keep everyone safe and informed, but let me ask you a more important question. Do you have a healthy fear of something even worse than a spider? Something that the Bible actually warns us about related to spiritual warfare. Look at the screen and you'll see Ephesians 6. This is uh, from Paul, and we'll get to, to Mark 5 in just a minute, but this is what Paul writes. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Now, we're going to think today 
Not about the, the presence of all these spiders. We're going to think about the presence of, of this, this other warfare that's happening. This other battleground that's taking place. That at times we may not be thinking about. Just as we don't think about some of the other things that may be around us at times. But we know from looking at the Word of God that we are to be informed. We are to, to know what is taking place. It gives us a lot of understanding for what we see both outside us and at times even within us. Now for some of us here today we may wonder if the whole talk about, about spiritual warfare or demonic activity might just be a little extreme. Maybe that was for a, a different era. Maybe, maybe that is something that's left best in the entertainment world or in the movies. Or maybe you put it on par with a recent classified ad, I think that was put on Craigslist. This is what the ad said. For sale, toddler bed, white metal frame, practically new, but had monsters under it. $20, right? Just had to sell the bed, right? Some of you are thinking, okay, I, I think about monsters under the bed just as I would think about demons. But today, we're going to look at some passages of Scripture that may be insightful, that may be helpful for us to understand, and it may even give some explanation for some of what we see in the world around us. Can I ask you, do you see evil in the world today? Do you see evil around us? Do we have an explanation for evil? You see, we talked a little bit about this at the dinner table last night at our house. I was preparing the, the kids for, uh, for the theme for the day, and we just were talking about that. We know there's evil in this world. All we have to do is think back eight days ago to see a, a, an example, a horrible example, of what took place in El Paso, Texas, what took place in Dayton, Ohio. And these are, these are just sadly a couple of recent examples. How frequently do we, do we see examples of evil in the world around us? Now, the one in Dayton, there were pictures of this shooter. And maybe if you've, if you've read some of this, you've seen that, that he was even photographed with some pictures of, of having apparel on that, that promoted satanic activity and blasphemed God. And it's, it's, it's easy to make those connections and say, well, he, he, he was a self-proclaimed Satanist. And we can see, yes, okay, I believe it. There's evil there, but you know, there's, there's evil in any of these cases. Even if they're not wearing the apparel or the t-shirt, Satan is behind it, right? It's still evil, and it's still his plan to steal and to kill and ultimately to destroy. So yes, indeed, we see evil around us. C.S. Lewis wrote in the preface of his famous book, Screwtape Letters, he said there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to dis disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Now, as I think about that quote, I quickly respond by saying, I believe that today the American church by and large falls into that first category. And maybe it's because we've seen the, the excessiveness that can sometimes take place or can, can, uh, can, can happen in, in some circles that we, that we tend to, to just gravitate completely away from it. And I think and I hope today as we, as we look at the Word that, that we'll see that, that we do need to pay attention, that we have been warned, that there, is, that there are the existence of the demonic activity around us. 
Now, of course, the best place to turn for truth is the Bible. And the Bible is clear. Yes, it does say that demons exist. It says that they are present on earth. Their allegiance is to Satan and their plan is to destroy. Scripture is clear that Satan has, has ex exists, that he has a number of what are known as fallen angels or demons who are at work to deceive, to tempt, and ultimately to destroy. So again, Mark chapter 5, we're going to be looking at a miracle today of Jesus. It's, a, it's part of a trilogy of stories, uh, true accounts that show the power that Christ possesses. That's our series this, this summer, Knowing Jesus. And we're seeing in these miracles the authority that Jesus has. I say trilogy of stories because at the end of verse 4, we saw that Christ had authority over nature. Remember that? And last week we saw that, that, uh, that Christ had the, the authority over sickness and disease. And right in between those two accounts, we see his authority over evil. And I know some of you are, are thinking through that. The end of chapter 4, two weeks ago, the end of chapter 5 last week, or the middle, and now the beginning of chapter 5. You say, why, why did we take them out of order? And I, I've, I've only got one reason for that. Kids' church. Okay, we didn't have kids church last Sunday. It was a family worship Sunday. And I thought that the topic on Jesus working with evil and demons might be a little heavy last Sunday. Okay, so I saved that one for today. And it is a serious topic. And yet it's one that I, as I looked at the categories of miracles, do you remember the, the, the five categories that we've looked at? We've, we're on the third one. As I looked at these, including, as we'll see next week, Lord willing, how, how Christ miraculously provided food, and, and we're going to see resurrection from, from, from death as the fifth category. But as I looked at that list in the first week, and maybe you looked at it as well, I'd be curious to know what you thought about the third category. Was that one that when you first looked at it, you thought, oh, that was for a bygone time. That was for another season, another day. That's back for the days of Jesus and the disciples. Or did you look at it and say, you know, maybe, just maybe there's something there that we need to understand for today. And so as I, as I looked at these and began planning the sermons, uh, I'll, I'll have to admit it's, it's been a while since I've, since I've uh, preached on demons. In fact, you may be thinking it's been a long time since you've heard a sermon on demons. And I would say, well, today is your day, if that's what you're thinking, because we're going to talk about it. And uh, we're going to see how it helps us understand the identity of Jesus Christ. You see, the, the series this summer, Knowing Jesus, we spent seven weeks looking at the I Am statements in John. Now we're spending the latter part of our, of our series looking at these miracles. And each of them convey to us something about Christ. Look at it this way. In these miracles, we see His divine power on display, but also His compassionate heart to protect, to restore, and to heal. And folks, we have looked already at an occasion last week, and we will today, at people that had been excluded. Those that were sick last week, the two examples we saw were people that were excluded. I can promise you the man from Mark chapter 5, he was excluded too. And many would have looked at him and said, there is no hope for that guy. There's no hope for him. And yet, what do we see? We will read that, that in his compassion, in his mercy, and in his authority, Jesus approaches this man. 
And I tell you, there may be some people in your life today that you might be tempted to think the same thing about them. There's no hope. They're too far gone. There's no way. There's no way that they could turn to the Lord. If you have that person in your life, if you have that thought on your mind, I ask you to read with me today from Mark chapter 5 as we are reminded not only of Satan's existence and his work upon the earth, but we're also going to be reminded of the power that Jesus has and that, uh, that he has over this, this demonic influence. Now, I will readily admit, I'm, I've put my oar in a big sea this morning. I know that we're not going to be able to cover every aspect of spiritual warfare and demonic activity in one message. And maybe, maybe we need to look at a, at a lengthier series in the, in the future. But I hope, if anything, it lays groundwork so that you are aware and you are on guard and you are looking. You're looking for those times in which there is a battle. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We are in a spiritual battle. And I'm convinced that the church in America does not properly see or consider the work of Satan and his demons around us. I think we believe we're so sophisticated and so advanced in this age that that's something that maybe was for the past. And yet the enemy is real. And he continues to wage war even against those who aren't looking for him. So with that in mind, Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Speaking of the disciples and Jesus, it says they came to the other side of the sea. You may remember that they were on the water recently, right? Went to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs, and no one was able to restrain him anymore not even with a chain, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him. And he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had, been, for he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Verse 9, What is your name? He asked him. My name is Legion, he answered him, because we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. Now this word legion is also a military term. In the Roman army, a legion would have meant a thousand or maybe even thousands. And so this idea of legion speaks of plurality. Likely many, many that were within him. Look at verse 11. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank 
into the sea and drowned there. The men who tended them ran off and reported it to the town and the countryside, excuse me, and people went to see what happened. All right, dramatic account here, isn't it? A lot of details, a lot of things to, to think through. I want us to, first of all, consider the affliction that was present here. The demonic affliction that we see in Mark chapter 5. There's a number of things that come to mind. The first one is this. This man, it says he lived where? In the tombs. He wasn't with his family. He wasn't living in the community. He wasn't operating the local bed and breakfast. He was living in the tombs, right? Isolated. He was all alone. Due to this condition, I'm sure that those in the city exiled him from all human contact. All alone, separated from family and friends. Secondly, he was perceived as being dangerous. There's a, there's a lot of description there about what the community tried to do to protect themselves from him. What, what did we read? They, they bound him with chains and with shackles, and, they, and they, they couldn't do it. Even the chains weren't strong enough to keep him. So clearly, these people were afraid of him. Third, we see that he had unusual strength. According to verse 4, as I said, he could not be restrained. But yet, even though he couldn't be restrained, think about the inner enslavement that was happening. Isn't that a lot like the way the adversary works? He was given some strength. He was given some ability. But yet, at the same time, he was also enslaved and being held captive. Number four, he experienced mental and emotional and you could even add physical pain, which we'll see in just a moment. All kinds of pain. Verse 5 says he would cry out night and day. Even from the mountains, they could, they could hear him crying out. He was tormented emotionally, tormented spiritually, mentally. And then it also says in verse 5 that he cut himself with stones. And we see that uh, these five things just show the affliction that was happening. Just see the effects of the demons in his life. But think also, as we look at this list, even though that's Mark chapter 5, and Jesus is going to handle this man's situation, do you see some things there that strike you about the way the adversary even works today? Does he tend to try to isolate people away from family and friends? Does he tend to isolate people from the family of God? You bet he does. Because with that isolation, he has, he has victory. What about fear? That's what the second one there is, perceived as being dangerous. When those who are, who are dealing with the influence of, 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 of demons and the adversary, obviously they can, they can cause those around them to be afraid. Maybe they will be afraid of, of, of injury or hurt. And that doesn't necessarily mean physical hurt. It could be emotional hurt. Look at the next one there about, about power and strength. That, that, that yes, even today, there can be those that are, that are being influenced or persuaded and it emboldens them against the things of God. And yet at the same time, while they're being emboldened or strengthened, they're also having that inner enslavement that is happening. Look at the fourth one there. We see mental and emotional pain. Again, same thing. When the adversary's at work, that's part of what he's trying to, to cause. And then the fifth one there was physical harm, self-destructive tendencies, right? And the, this is mentioning cutting in Mark 5, 
But you could think all the way to an extreme example uh, beyond that, of, of actually ending one's life. All of this is something that the adversary would be, would be uh, uh, seeking to pursue. So don't miss the picture here. A desperate man, tortured mentally, physically. He was suffering. He was hurting. He was living in isolation. And those around him would have said that he was hopeless. Now we read all of that. And I know some might say, well, what about today? I want to take the second part of the message here and talk about being prepared for demonic affliction. And I know that some of you have been listening to me preach now for over five years. You probably could count on one hand the number of times that I've, I've brought something like this up. And, that, and that, that, that's, not, that's not a good thing. I'm just saying it's not come up that much. And it should come up more. Because I think it would, would give us answers to some of the challenges that we're facing when we recognize the, the presence, or listen to me, maybe even the prevalence of demonic activity in our midst. Yes, even as Christians. Let's not make the mistake to think that demonic activity only happened in the earthly ministry of Jesus. In fact, as the New Testament continues to unfold, as the church is being birthed, as, as, as the gospel is going forth, as the Holy Spirit is indwelling believers, we will see today that there was writing to these churches. There was writing collected in Scripture to warn of this adversary. In fact, 1 Peter 5 is an example of that. Verse 8 says, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. You see, it's his nature to harm. It's his nature to kill, to destroy. In fact, if you look over at Revelation chapter 9, there's some, some names for him, and one of them is Apollyon, which literally means the destroyer, the destroyer. And the same is true today. Obviously, with varying degrees of influence, right? Listen to me on that. Varying degrees of influence. I get that. But Satan is still trying to destroy lives. He's trying to destroy marriages and families. He's trying to destroy communities and churches. He's trying to come against individuals over and over and over again. And the older I get and the more that I see, the more I recognize, you know what? I don't think I've been real apt to understanding his work around me. I think it gives a lot of explanation to some things that I've seen, some things that I've experienced. And I hope today that it, we will look at a verse like 1 Peter 5 and say, let's be alert. Here's a passage from 1 Timothy 4. Paul writes, now the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith. Do we ever see that happen? Paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. There's that word. And that word is used in a context of a warning to what period of time? Later times. Latter times. So again, a, a, a warning for even those of us living many, many years after the writing of the New Testament. Paul writes to a local church in 1 Corinthians 10. He's warning the church in Corinth because as they worship, they are getting pulled in 
at times to the idolatry that is around them. And he says, I, he says, but I do know, but I do say that what they sacrifice, thinking of the idolaters, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Now think about that passage. He's writing to believers who could get pulled into false religion. Yes, in that day, it may have been very explicit idolatry. But can I ask you, church, is there false religion among us today? If so, is the source the same? And maybe we can look at idolatry and we can make those connections to demons very quickly. But maybe, just maybe, we should look at the false belief systems around us and make that same connection very quickly. Because I think that's what we are to take from passages like this. Now we studied the book of James this spring. And you may remember chapter 3. Maybe I should have spent a little more time on this in, in hindsight. But look at what James writes in verse 14. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Now, let me ask you, is James writing to Christians here? Yes, he is. He's writing to the, to the dispersed Christians, right? Okay, listen to verse 15. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, there's the next word, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. Now let's be real honest here. How often when we've struggled with, with, uh, with selfish ambition and envy, have we thought about demonic temptation or demonic influence? You see, we would probably separate that as believers and think, well, that's probably for, for the lost, the unsaved. But here... James is writing to Christians. He's speaking about things that you and I struggle with, envy and selfish ambition, and he's making a connection to demonic activity. Has that got your attention yet? It got mine. I'll be real honest, just thinking about, about that. Let's keep going. He uses the word demonic. He uses the word evil in verse 16. Does it make us feel a little uncomfortable? Does it? I think so, right? It gets our attention. Let's keep going. To think that we could have a reaction or a behavior towards someone that finds its source with demons might be a little frightening. But again, where is our source of truth today? The Word of God. So let's listen again to the words of Paul in Ephesians 6. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Let me ask you, was Paul writing to Christians? Yes, he was writing to a church. And what is he saying? You're waging war with what is evil. Again, let us not be... We're going to get to the end about the victory, so hang on. Don't get up and leave quite yet. There is victory here. But we've got to stop and consider these influences around us. We have to be alert. We have to be on guard. Because if not, the roaring lion will do what? He will devour you and me. You better believe it. He will devour us. 
So James and Paul are both writing to groups of Christians. And they clearly express the struggle with evil and with demons. Now I think as believers, sometimes we only think of demons in terms of two categories. Possession and what? What's the other one we sometimes use? Oppression, right? Possession and oppression. And I want to say to you today, those two categories might not be all that helpful for us. We may need to expand that thinking a little bit based upon what we're reading today. Because of the way that you and I typically speak of the words oppression and possession. And we're going to talk about that some this morning. Possession is something that one owns, right? We, we use that word in that, in that sense that if, that if this is my possession, I own it, right? And so we think about, well, possession, demonic possession would mean that the demon owns us. So, so clearly we are owned by Christ, so, so we've got to take that one aside. And then oppression, sometimes we use that word to think about, about something unfair, something that, that is around us, that is unjust treatment. And we think about this, this outside source coming from the outside. And we miss something by just using those two categories. Again, I'm going to push that these aren't the only two options. The English translation of the Bible may not be completely helpful to us in understanding the work of demons. Demonizome is a Greek word, and you can see it on the screen there. The first part uh, is the, the, the root word for, for demon. And then there's a, a suffix at the end. It's a single word, but it's oftentimes translated as two words, demon possessed. But a lot of, of scholars have said, you know, a better translation is not demon possessed, but demonized, that someone is being demonized, this single word. And so for us to try to understand what it means, if we're using English words that, that may confuse what the original meaning is, we need to stop and consider it. And, and so don't just take my word for this. You can see that, 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 that if you do a word study and you use some of the tools, that you will find some scholars, even some like, like Tim Keller and others, that uh, Merrill Unger and others that would say, you know, this, this demon possessed may be a word that's not as accurate as demonized. The word possession can be thought of in two contexts. Let me give an example. Have you ever played basketball? Anybody played basketball? So, when someone has a basketball, they <laughs> I'm glad you had that today. That worked out well. Okay. So, they are in possession of the basketball, right? And, and I think we would all know that you see right now, I'm holding the basketball, and if someone said, who's in possession of the basketball? Everybody would say, well, Ryan is in possession of the basketball, right? We even think about that when we watch the game. Who's, who's in possession? But but possession isn't the same as ownership, because I'll stand right here and tell you, I don't own this basketball. This basketball is not mine. So I'm possessing it, but I don't own it. See the, see the challenge there with that word possession? When you hear it, what are you thinking of? Are you thinking of possession like ownership or possession like in control of or influence of? That's what the linguistic scholars are debating about this word and always using the word possession. Thank you. I'm glad we didn't miss. That would, have, that would not have been good. Here's what David Appleby says. 
He says, perhaps demonization should be framed in terms of levels of involvement rather than ownership. We know that demons can never possess a Christian because the believer is already possessed by Christ. Amen? Amen. That's great. The New Testament views demons as squatters or invaders of a territory that does not belong to them. Perhaps demonization could be better defined as being under the influence or control of one or more demonic spirits. Now let's stop again and catch our breath, okay? Because I know some of you are reading that and you're processing it. You're going to be chewing on that thought because it may, it may go against decades of thinking when you think about possession and oppression and, and, and how to explain it. As we read scriptures, we see that there is an influence of demons. James connected it to envy and selfish ambition. Paul speaks about this spiritual battle that is being waged. And so to Appleby's point, maybe we can see different levels of involvement. We would look to Mark chapter 5 and say, here's a guy that is completely being controlled by these demons, right? This is like total, complete control, and we don't even completely understand how he got to this level, right? We just don't know. There's not any detail given about it. But then there's other occasions where we also see demonic involvement at, a, at what might be argued a lesser level. And let me give you the example from Matthew chapter 16. Peter has just given a confession of who Christ is in this chapter. He knows Christ. He knows who Jesus is. He knows his identity. But when Jesus says that he's going to suffer, Jesus is then rebuked by who? Peter. And do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? Look at the next verse, Matthew 16, 23. Wow. Jesus, Peter just got it really right in his confession, and then he got it really wrong. And the Lord goes straight to the point and says, Satan, get behind me. Do you see the levels of involvement? Think about that. So why have we spent this much time today talking about demons? If we hadn't referenced these other passages, we might have left here today thinking the idea that demons only caused trouble back in the days of Jesus. We ourselves must be warned to be on guard. And yet, the talk of demons is nearly non-existent in the church today. And I feel that pressure. I know that, that if I come and I, and I speak about this topic, that, that it seems maybe eccentric. Or maybe for those that are guests, they might think, where did this guy come from? Or maybe he's like some of these things we've seen on the TV or the radio, right? You've got a demon, I've got some special water, right, that I can sell you when it's over, right? That kind of stuff. We, we've seen those hoaxes. And I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to be faithful to what we read in the Bible about these topics. And to think that maybe we do need to be warned. And maybe, maybe these verses will give some explanation to the inner struggles that you and I have. We've got one more point. Our eyes have been opened up to the spiritual war. But folks, I want to tell you, we are not left in a hopeless situation. We are not left in a defeated state. Here's the final point. The power of Jesus breaks demonic strongholds, delivers the captive, and heals 
the wounded. Okay, this is where we get to the good news, the good part. This is where we get to the solution. We're not going to leave this man in the tombs, right? We're going to go back to Mark 5 and read how it all turned out. We're going to see it. We're going to see how he's doing. And we're going to see these connections to today as well. Where do we need to pick up at? I think verse 15. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed. Or some might say demonized, right? Okay. Sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Now, do you remember after the Lord stopped the storm, that there was fear of the storm, and then after he stopped the storm, what does the Bible say happened next? Yeah, there's, the disciples were afraid again, right? Well, we see a similar thing here. People are wondering, what, what, what is happening? How did this happen? Verse 16, those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to leave their region. Is that surprising? Verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Jesus did not let him, but told him, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had, what's the next word? Mercy on you. Now, this is a striking passage. First of all, this, this man, he's been forgiven. He's been healed. He has gratitude. Who does he want to be with? He wants to be with the one who healed him. But what does the one who healed him say to do? Go and tell, right? You almost see the great commission here. Go tell what the Lord's done for you. And if we, as we keep reading, it says in verse 20, he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And they were all amazed. Interesting. Interesting how this man went forth and proclaimed. A man who was howling in the tombs, right? A man who was cutting himself and breaking chains and scaring people. Now, it says he's in his right mind. And he's clothed. And he wants to be with Christ. And he goes and tells others about Jesus. And they listen to him. And they are amazed at what Christ has done. Here is a picture, folks, of healing and restoration. Do you see the hope here for a man who was viewed by others as hopeless? Remember the beginning of the message I asked you to think of someone who you say is so far away from God, too far away, too far gone. Maybe they, 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 they blaspheme him or they deny his existence. Well, Christ did a work in this man's life. And Jesus can do a, a work in, in the lives of others too and a way to heal them and to restore them, even their minds and their thinking. Now we know, as we've said, that Jesus is the power. When he calmed the storm, he didn't cry out for another power. When he healed the sick, he didn't cry out for another power. He is the power. And so we go to him knowing that he is able to break the bondage of sin. He is able to set the captive free. He is able to heal the wounds that have occurred because of the demonic activity that has come upon a person. 
And I think as what we've read today, we could say that all of us to some level or measure have been impacted by that and likely wounded by it. I like what it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me, says Jesus, to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free the oppressed. Church family, is that still his mission today? You bet it is. Have you experienced that? Has God broke a bondage of sin in your life? Maybe it's been an addiction or maybe it's been wrong thinking. Maybe it's been been an attitude or a behavior or something there in which you've been led astray and Christ has broken that bondage. He has healed those wounds. And like the man from Mark 5, you have a testimony of what Christ has done for you. Because he's still in the healing business. He's still working in this way. Now, I know some of you are saying, Pastor, I'm a little confused. You've, 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 you've covered all this ground about demons. Aren't there, aren't there other issues? And I would turn your attention to Matthew chapter 4 because the Bible does indeed speak of other issues that are not necessarily connected to demons. Matthew chapter 4, verse 24. Jesus is, in this occasion here, a very similar passage to what I just read about preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. But it's very interesting. There's a distinction in verse 24, almost categories here. They brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon possessed, the epileptics, and the paralytics, and he healed them. So why am I sharing this verse? Because I realize that there's physical pain. There's physical disease. I realize that there's mental pain and mental disease. We don't always jump straight over to, to a demonic influence. It's listed as one of the categories here. But so is some of the other. And so just realize that even from an ancient book, God's Word is true. And there was an understanding of the various levels of affliction including physical disease, mental disease, emotional turmoil, and demon possession. I hope that helps. Well, we know that the spiritual battle that we're in is something that we are to be prepared for. But as we wrap up this morning, let's be reminded of John 10. Verse 10, Jesus said, A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Folks, there may be some here today that need that word. You need the life that Christ offers. You need the freedom that He and He alone can give. You need Him to meet you where you're at and provide for you something that this world cannot give you. That's the invitation. That's the invitation for you. You see, we need to hold to this truth. There are times in which we know, as we've read already from the Bible, that the demons have victory. They cause great harm against us, even the life of believers. If it weren't true, and if it weren't possible, I don't think that Jesus and Peter and James would have warned us about it. So we need, again, more time on this topic. But maybe it will be a reminder of what we need to be alert for or what we may be working through. Maybe it'll give an explanation if we're puzzled. 
when we see spiritual defeat in our lives or in the lives of others. But remember this, church. Remember that we do not live in fear. We do not live in defeat. We live in victory because we are looking to the one who has ultimate authority even over evil forces. Sam Storms put it this way, and we'll close. He said, simply put, you don't have to suffer from Satan's debilitating presence or yield to his temptations or experience the shame and paralyzing guilt that he tries to inflict. The consistent testimony of Scripture is the victory of Christ over the demonic and the authority and power that is ours if we believe. If we take our stand in the name and authority of the risen Christ, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So with that in mind, let's pray together. And let's pray against these attacks, against these effects. I'm going to invite the prayer and response team to make their way to the tables. And maybe there are some with us today that that have some questions about what we've looked at. Maybe you have a desire to approach Christ, or maybe you just need someone to pray with you for yourself or for someone else. That's what those team members are doing over to the left. They're waiting to talk with you while the song is being played or when the song is over. As you're leaving, you can stop by. But I would encourage you. I would encourage you, do the business with God while you're here. Reach out. Don't let the adversary isolate you and push you away from this place, but instead be drawn in, drawn into the presence of Christ, drawn into the help that brothers and sisters here today can give you. I'm also going to ask the ushers, if they would, to come to receive the offering for today. And I know that we're going to have some staff members heading down to the lunch, so a lot of movement will happen. But don't let that distract you as we pray and as we respond. Would you bow with me?